0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rina, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome, welcome, welcome. See, I did it. I think it's because I listened to so much armchair expert that I automatically when I press record on my computer, I'm like, welcome, welcome, welcome. Like it's just like ingrained in me and I stopped myself from doing it for a while and then I would just be like, hey, welcome to Tuesday's episode. I'm going to change it up. Maybe every episode I'll try and do something different. But anyways, welcome to Tuesday's episode. Today I am speaking with marriage and family therapist, Andrea Listrup. I hope I said that properly. Oh, I did the little at the end some of the most downloaded episodes are the marriage and relationship episodes so i have a couple lined up for you before christmas merry christmas everybody if you celebrate christmas of course So what we are talking about in today's episode are, well, I'm always interested to know what the most common reason that people seek out a therapist or a psychologist. So I do ask her that, but we do get into what to do when one person in the couple wants to see a therapist and the other doesn't think anything is wrong. Also patterns of conflict and This was so eye-opening to me because exactly what she talks about, I saw one of her reels on Instagram and it was about patterns of conflict. And I was like, oh my God, she's literally describing our marriage. Like one person does all the talking and the other person is kind of like a people pleaser. Well, hello, I'm the person that does all the talking all the time. And my husband is a people pleaser, 1000%. So, we do talk about that, and then we talk about obviously how to navigate that if you are finding yourself in a similar situation. She also has a reel that talks about how, when people say our relationship is perfect, we just struggle with sex or with intimacy. And she explains to us why that is untrue, and there's usually underlying issues. We also talk about sexual desire when it's low and it causes tension, when it's women who have low desire versus men. And then, of course, we get into what are some steps people can take to improve their intimacy in their relationship if that is something that they want to do. So let's just get into it. And please welcome Andrea Listrup to the Mom Room Podcast. I don't know why I'm being so silly today. This is just a side note. I think it's because my mom's coming today and then we're going to the big one of a kind craft show shop thing in Toronto and I'm just like very excited. But anyways, let's get on to the episode. All right, so today I'm speaking with Andrea and I never remember to ask people how to pronounce their names before I press record. This is like my thing. Like it's like a character flaw. Is, is that it listrup? <laughs>
1: Light strip it's
0: kind of like light strip. okay light strip. All right so you are a couples therapist and where are you located and I'm curious how people choose like their area of expertise. So for you how did you land on being like a family or marriage and couples counselor or therapist?
1: Yeah, so I'm based in Tucson Arizona. I've lived here about 3 years. My husband's a doctor in the Air Force, so we've moved around quite a bit. But we're hoping to stay here a long time. That's the goal. And I landed in marriage counseling particularly in like the subset of sex therapy. Mostly just I don't I mean I think like something propelled me to marriage counseling. Like I don't know if I was just like I think probably nervous about life in the military and wanted to make sure that my family was going to be in a good spot. And then my sex therapy class was the first class I ever got an A plus in. And it just like, was really helpful for me in my personal life. And then I've just seen it work really well with people in therapy. So it's
0: a really fun field to be in. I put up a little question box on Instagram. I wanted to see what people wanted to know about with regard to like marriage and relationships. And so many of the questions, as I'm sure you're not shocked, were about intimacy and sex, especially like most of my audience has young children. So it's something that I think a lot of couples struggle with. I'm curious, what is the most common reason that you find couples come to you? And is it usually, like in heterosexual couples, is it usually the woman that contacts you first and then they like how does that work? Do couples go together?
1: That is a good question. I feel like it's 50/50. I think when it's when people want sex therapy, often it's usually the husband that contacts me. If it's other things then maybe it leans more the wife. But that's I don't know, that's pretty stereotypical though about like the men are the ones who are always trying to figure out their sex life. I think women might tend to be a little bit more okay with just writing things out in that regard.
0: Yeah, totally. So what is your advice? Somebody asked this question. What happens in a relationship where one person wants to see a therapist and the other person in the couple is not into it? Like, how do you navigate that?
1: So that happens all the time. I feel like that's pretty standard because most couples are going to have somebody who is a pursuer and one person who's a withdrawer. And typically whoever's the most like anxious about solving any particular issue is the one that's pursuing therapy and the withdrawer would rather not see that it's a problem or is just kind of developed a whole life around people pleasing and just kind of having this attitude, like everything has to be okay. So that happens a lot. I think usually what you have to do is kind of engage the reluctant partner and say like, I know that there's something about your life that makes you really want to believe that everything is Okay. And let's understand like where that came from and just kind of give you a little bit of empathy for why you grew up feeling like everything needs to be okay for so long. And then just like what would happen if it was okay for you to be honest about the things that aren't working for you? Like what if this could be a space for you to have the kind of life and connection that you were looking for? And usually when they see that there's like a benefit to it for them and it's not just going to be rehashing all the same old stuff, then people are usually pretty open to it and sometimes i feel like it becomes the reluctant partner is the one who then at the end of therapy is like wait a second i'm not ready to terminate like can we keep this going and so it's kind of funny how that works when you like really get the buy in and have empathy empathy for themselves and it's not just that there's something wrong with them for wanting to avoid but just kind of understanding where it comes from a little bit more
0: am i correct in saying that it's often the woman that is the pursuer or seeking out therapy and men are less likely to like be excited about going?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say that's the case, except I see, I, was, I don't know, I'd say like 70% of the male-female relationships, the woman is the pursuer when it comes to everything except sex. And then often I see it flip-flopped when it comes to sex. And then the husband is typically the pursuer and there's ten- tension and conflict around that. So kind of just depends on what the issue is, I think.
0: Okay, I saw a reel of yours that was about conflict and patterns of conflict. And again, I think it had to do with one person, like in my situation, my relationship with my husband. Like I am the one that is constantly like bringing things to the table and like, okay, like, are you happy right now? Like, what can we do to make things better? Like, I am that person I have a degree in psychology like I'm very like self-reflective and constantly thinking about like okay how can we make our relationship better like if I'm upset or you know not super happy in the relationship for a period of time I'm like really like digging deep like okay what like that's just who I am as a person And my husband is very like, probably most, (laughs) yeah. Like he's just like, "Um, okay, okay. And it's like pulling teeth to try and get him to like agree with me and what I'm saying, or like give his feedback on like, how do you think things are going? Like, what do you think we could do? Like, is there anything I do that pisses you off that, you know, like, I'm like, tell me something. Like, so I'm not always the one that is bringing stuff up. So I think that's when I saw you're real about that. I was like, oh my god, this is so relatable because in our situation, I'm that person that's always bringing stuff up, and you know, whereas he is just like he would just go on forever, just being happy in our regular routine.
1: Yeah, I mean that puts me to a T too. I mean, it took. I feel like my understanding of these relationship conflict patterns just turned upside down when I went and got my own therapy. And I was like, oh, like, that's how I'm being, like, the pursuer and the anxious person. (laughs) And, like, I always, I think before, I would kind of walk or talk the talk in therapy about trying to balance the conflict and provide value or provide validity to each side. But I think in my mind, it would be like, well, yeah, like, you should be able to bring up these issues. Like, if you can't make it better, then what's going on? And my own therapist really helped me kind of see like, that's not your only option. Like you're, if you are feeling anxious about your relationship, which is usually what's happening when you're being the pursuer, she's like, you're, you have other options besides just using your partner to talk through your anxiety because talking through your anxiety is help is making your partner like they're. It's adding to their anxiety. And so you're kind of feeling up both of you instead of doing something that actually solves the problem. And I think a lot of people get into a cycle where they think talking about it works because they talk, 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 talk over a solution. They come to a solution and then they think it's solved. But then like two weeks later, the same issue comes up again. And usually when that's happening, it means that one of your, one of you guys is a people pleaser. Like you can't handle having tension or conflict in the marriage. So then usually the more avoidant partner is going to say, okay, never mind. We'll just do it your way or what, or whatever the situation is. And hey, people please the way their way out of it, but then don't really feel resolved in it. And so you keep having the same spiral over and over and over again. So I think when you are the pursuing partner, you tend to think like, oh yeah, it's healthy to talk about our relationship issues. I just want things to be better. I'm just like trying to make sure that we're on a good page, but you don't realize that that, like the anxious pursuing can be just as unhealthy as the avoidance side of it. If you are essentially like using your partner to manage your own anxiety, instead of learning how to deal with some of the just inherent anxiety and being in a relationship on your own.
0: Oh my God. I feel like I just, I've never thought of it that way before ever. It's so true in that it's like a cyclical thing. It's like, you have this big conversation and it's like, yeah, we need to talk about it because I feel like it's ingrained in us to be like, oh, you should constantly be like communicating and talking and that's what you do to make it better. But really what happens is it's literally that cycle. It's like, talk, 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 talk. Okay, like let's make these changes. It's good for two weeks. My husband like for sure is just like, I just want to keep the peace, like no confrontation. Like I will do whatever to just like make you happy. But then there's me who's like, Like, no, tell me what I'm doing wrong. Like, tell me, like, let's, you know, make the relationship like absolutely perfect. So if people find themselves in this kind of cycle, what do you recommend they do? Like, what does the person, let's say like me, who is like, oh yeah, I have all these ideas and I want us to like, you know, go on date nights and like trying to think of all these things to improve the relationship, like bring intimacy back. And rather than going to him every few weeks with like this big, like blow up of a million things, like how do I manage that on my own?
1: So my therapist recommended this really good book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock. And Radical Acceptance is very trendy in the therapy world. And basically what I tell my clients is you need to accept the relationship you have right now because Carl Rogers, he's a humanistic psychologist talks about before people can change, they have to be accepted for where they are right now. So if you can accept the relationship you have right now, meaning that you don't have the perfect relationship, that you have conflict, that this period of life with young children is really difficult. If you can do all of that, Then when you say, okay, this is the relationship I have right now, instead of trying to change it, what do I want to do differently given that my relationship isn't changing? And so then oftentimes people are thinking, well, then like maybe I would go to the gym more instead of like badgering my partner for spending time with me in the evening. Or maybe I would make time for my friends or I would prioritize like more individual time or whatever ideas come to your mind when you say like, this is the relationship I currently have then whatever ideas come to your mind, like try that first. And like, so for me, sometimes I think like, okay, I wish I wasn't mad at my partner right now, but I am mad at him. And so I'm going to put on like a feeling angry playlist on Apple music and just like let myself feel angry until like that emotional tunnel has kind of washed itself through. And then usually when my husband sees me doing that, he's like, do you want to talk about something? And then he ends up pursuing me and The conversation is so much more collaborative than it would have been if I like jumped to him the second that I was feeling uncomfortable.
0: A lot of people were talking about emotional intimacy. Like most of my followers are in heterosexual relationships. Obviously, most of my followers are women, are moms, and a lot of what they were asking about was: how do I get my husband to be more? Like, open with their feelings, with their emotions. I can relate to that as well. I'm like very much, you know, talking about everything, and my husband, not so much. Like, everything is just always just fine. So, it kind of reminds me of what you were just saying about how, like, the Pursuer people are like, you know, constantly wanting to talk about stuff and want their partner to talk about stuff. But how can you find a balance or even get your partner to, like, start having a conversation about feelings or, like, their childhood or anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to not try to make your husband into women, a woman, essentially. Like, when I hear people say, like, they're just not capable of it, I'm like, well... I mean, were they when you were dating early in marriage before having children? Like, did you get the kind of connection out of your relationship that you wanted like at any point in your relationship? Well, then it's not an ability situation. There's something else going on. And if I mean if they were never capable of it, then I would also kind of wonder, like, well, what changed in you? Like if you felt connected enough when you were dating, like what happened? What changed? And I think always looking at any sort of couple relationship problem with the lens of, like in the words of Taylor Swift, like it's me, I'm the problem. Like if everybody could say, I want to know where I'm the problem first before trying to get their partner to change, then things work a lot better. Like you always want to start with the relationship you have, not the relationship you want it to be. And so I would say, ask yourself, like, what is it about having my husband share their deepest feelings with me. What is it about it that I like so much? And if you're operating under the assumption that there's probably some anxiety that's driving you wanting to talk about your feelings a lot with him, like what am I what am I afraid of? Like what does my husband really engaging in a deep emotional conversation with me? What fears is that soothing in myself? Like is it making me feel confident that I know what's going on and so that there's not going to be some blind side later that they are unhappy and didn't tell me about it in the relationship. And if you really know yourself and know the fears that you're trying to like talk your way through, well then you can start addressing the fears in yourself first before saying, I need you to be more emotionally intelligent. Like there might be room for them to grow in that perspective and self improvement is always a good thing. But if your husband sees you really trying to work on your side of the street first then they're going to feel safer opening up emotionally versus if they feel like they're going to emotion- open up emotionally and then be met with a lot of demands or criticism or that sort of thing. Well, then it makes sense to kind of close up and keep your your like inner world a little bit more secretive.
0: I feel like, like I can understand that because when I think about it, it's like it's almost like you have to practice like having these conversations and using this kind of language with each other, as opposed to like, I know in my situation, it's like, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, right now I want to like have these conversations and like, here's things that I have an issue with. And here's changes I want to make. Like, how do you feel? Tell me, tell me, you know what I mean? Like, they're probably like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, we've been living like a normal life for three weeks and now all of a sudden you like want all of this stuff out of me, just like out of nowhere, like no warning. (laughs) So I can see where it's almost like you have to show that it is a safe space. And I know like for me, like if my husband was like, oh, okay, here are some problems that I have. I would like, try and defend myself instead of just being you
1: know what I mean like absolutely yeah well one of the things that I hear so many couples say is both partner will say things like I feel like there's only room for me in this relationship if I'm happy like the second that you are or that I'm like anxious or mad or sad or scared or even sick like a lot of oftentimes you'll feel like My partner can't handle me unless everything is okay. And both partners usually feel that way. Like the more avoidant partner kind of feels like everything they do is getting criticized. And then the more pursuing partner tends to take the moral high ground and feel like they're like the superior relationship skills one. But similarly, they often feel like their partner only will engage in them, get engaged with them when they're at their best. And so it's really hard to have a good relationship if you always have to be like Stepford Wives prim and proper at your best all the time. Like this is not how real relationships work.
0: Do you know who Terry Real is? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His quote, I was watching this YouTube video of a podcast that he was on and he had this quote about how like nowadays, especially because we're all into like self-help books and We follow a lot of like therapy accounts and we're very like self reflective and constantly trying to like improve like ourselves and our relationships. And so I feel like nowadays more than ever, he was saying, like women expect a certain level of emotional intimacy from men, and men are just not capable of even giving that because they don't have the tools. Like they don't have the language, they were not raised to like share their feelings and be open. And, but nowadays that's what we're expecting and what we want. I was also reading research about how women get like from their like friendships, either with like family members or their female friends, they get like hits of oxytocin. And because they have these like deep emotional conversations with other women, And we don't get that from our romantic partners if they are men. It's like a totally different kind of relationship. So they were basically saying, like, we get more emotionally out of our relationships with other women than we do our own romantic partners. And that was interesting. And do you agree with that quote about the emotional intimacy thing?
1: I mean, sort of. That's kind of where I go back to, like, well, how did you feel when you were dating? Because it's not so much, I don't think we necessarily care if we are having deep conversations where we talk about our feelings and we're using advanced emotionally intelligent vocabulary when we're describing it. Okay? Like, I don't think we actually want to be married to other women. So what I think, what we feel though, is we really want like a sense of presence. And I think presence is, or connection, it's something that you know it when you feel it, but it's hard to describe what it is. And so we kind of latch on to f- phrases like emotional intimacy or emotional intelligence or that sort of thing, because that's a, an attempt to explain what we feel like is missing from our relationships. But it's really, I mean, I think we've just fragmented our ability to really be connected to anything. Like really what it comes down to is like, is your body and is your brain engaged in whatever is right in front of you? I think that's what we want from our partners. Like, it's not necessarily about whether you're talking or not. It's just feeling like you guys are both right there in that same moment, like feeling each other's like souls together. But we have lost some of that because we're always just like sitting next to each other, watching TV, scrolling TikTok, planning dinner, thinking there's just so much going on. And so I think we're just as much to blame in that lack of connection as the like our husbands are it's just it's just so much easier when you are the, again that pursuing partner to feel like you're taking the moral high ground even when you don't really deserve it
0: This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com/slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first little spoon order. I know for me, I feel 10 times better if, like you were saying, like in the evenings, our phones are put away. We're like physically next to each other on the couch, like cuddling or whatever. We could have a show on, talk during commercials. Like it's a completely different feeling versus we're sitting downstairs on the exact same couch, but he's like watching basketball and I'm like scrolling my phone. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to bed. Okay, bye. Like, might as well have Uh, not Yeah, And you're like,
1: wait a second. Did we even spend any time together?
0: Yes. And like, especially after the pandemic, people got into these routines and it's like, how do you break out of it? So when people come to you and you pinpoint that is a huge problem in their relationship is that they're not like physically or mentally present with one another. What are some steps that people can take to change that so the first thing I
1: would address is that you can't just go to a couple and say like okay like put your phones away and spend quality time together and just have them do it like there's a reason why you guys have retreated into this like not very intimate space with each other and so I would try to understand what is the reason like what do you like why are you avoiding like a real deeper connection with your partner like Sometimes there is some self-doubt or some insecurity, like you don't really want your partner to know the real you or you're stressed out about your children. And like, sometimes you're even like embarrassed by like how mad you got at them during the day. And so you like kind of start to close off different parts of yourself because you don't want people to like see the real you. So I would try to understand like, what is it about other parts of your life that is building up some of these walls around your heart to protect you? And then I would say like recognizing that when you start increasing the intimacy with a partnership, anxiety is always going to escalate because anytime you're changing anything, anxiety escalates because we don't like change. So then I would say for solutions, you need to make sure your solutions are anxiety friendly. I guess if that makes sense. So things like Sitting down, looking at each other with nothing else to do, trying to talk is a very anxiety-provoking experience. Especially if you are the avoidant partner and have been criticized for your lack of emotional availability all of this time. Like you're probably feeling like you're about to be evaluated in any in that situation. Whereas, like I think anybody that's a parent of teenagers knows this: that if you are driving in the car, your teenagers will say a lot more because there's just something about not having to look at each other in the eye that can reduce anxiety enough to really let out more information. And so like going on a walk together or like my husband and I love to, we have scooters and so we'll, like go scootering and then we have young kids too. And it's perfect because our we'll just go do like circles in our front yard where, so our kids like are around, like we're watching them, it's safe, but they're like entertained enough that we can kind of talk to each other and like we're moving fast enough that I feel like. Like the kids aren't going to catch tidbits of our conversation. So, if you can do things like that incorporate like movement, not looking at each other, fun, like having a clear purpose of what it is you're doing, that's not just about like, let's talk about this like stressful state of our marriage. Well, that's going to go a lot better than if you just kind of like throw yourself into the pool in the deep end while it's freezing cold.
0: Yeah. And also, I feel like if you do start this conversation when your emotions are already high, like you're not in a position to even, well, I'll speak for myself. Like I'm annoyed. And so in my mind, I'm like, I don't even want a solution right now. I just want to be pissed off. And so even if like he came to the table with like solutions and was saying all the right things, I would still be like pissed. So you almost have to do it in like a, like I like the idea of doing an activity or like going for a walk. So that it's not during a time where your emotions are, like, you're annoyed. It's in the moment. Well, I also think it's important to ask myself, like, I'm pissed off right now,
1: often because of something like my husband did, but, like, like, does he deserve to, like, receive all of that? Or should I work through that feeling myself first and then talk to him? And like, sometimes like, I mean, the answer is different. It's like, you don't really know. It probably depends on the situation, the time at hand, like what's going on. But I think it's important to ask yourself that and just say like, is like unloading all of my feelings on my partner right now, is that the best decision for me to make given what happened, the circumstances, what's going on today, what's going on tomorrow, all of that. And just to be a little bit more thoughtful and realize that like one of the things that so many relationships get into is they're kind of codependent and it's like if I have a feeling like you have to have that feeling too or you have to understand why I'm having this feeling and like you're you don't have to feel the same feelings as your partner all the time like you don't have to infect whatever you're feeling on everybody else in your family like you can work yourself through you can let your husband enjoy his day if he wants to and then talk to them about it Or you can say like, no, I really do need your help sorting through this. Or I really do need you to understand what this is like for me. Like both of those are good options. But I think it's just good to see that there's more than one option and pick the one that works best. And given the circumstances in that moment.
0: I feel like a lot of couples maybe get into this situation where one person is unhappy for whatever reason. And the other person is like oblivious. So it's like, you could have like two people that are living in the same relationship and one is not happy and wants more out of the relationship. And the other one is like, I'm okay if this was our relationship for the rest of our lives. Like I'm content with this. So is it a matter of talking about that and then like meeting in the middle somewhere?
1: And that's where, I don't know that the solution is always going to be meeting in the middle. I think it's, I always just want to understand why, like where is that coming from? And so usually when I'm thinking through the clients that I have, where one of the partners fits that description, where they genuinely would be content with things the way they are, often there is an area of their life in which they're not content and they channel all of their stress into that. And so if you can find whatever the pain point is, so like for some, like I can think of some people, it's like work-life balance is really on fire for them. And they like hate their job and they're like channeled all of their feel like feelings that probably like, I think the way to have like a really healthy life is you have a series of buckets of all the different things that you like, all the different hats you're wearing in your life, like parenthood, job, relationship friendships family of origin all of those different things and the idea is that you know each bucket well enough to know like how much emotion goes into each bucket like fairly but I think what people do when they think their relationship is just fine and their other partner thinks it's not is they have just showered like all of their emotion into like frustration with their kids or frustration with their boss or frustration with something and so their life is not as content as they say it is. They're just not spreading out the feelings equitably. And so that's where I just want to help people see their pain points. Like, are you embarrassed by like how much you yell at your kids? Are you like burned out by your inability to like say no to somebody at work? Are you like not like having a great relationship with yourself where you're like neglecting your like exercise or, or like things that make you happy? Like, so like, what is the bucket that you would kind of say like, everything's great, but don't look at this one thing over here and say, well, like, let's look at that one thing over here. And then realize that as we start to sort out the feelings that have been kind of incorrectly placed in that bucket, it's like, okay, no, there is a lot of things I could complain about in my marriage, but I just have like channeled everything into this other bucket.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. It's almost like they don't have the capacity to like have more feelings in other areas of their life because it's so, you know, overloaded on one specific thing. One of the questions before we get into intimacy, which is like most of what people were asking about, somebody asked the question and I thought it was such a good question. Maybe there's not like a straightforward answer to it, but like if you could speak to it a little bit, I'm curious what you would say. So they said, How is a couple supposed to know whether they move forward to work on it, like seek out therapy, whatever it might be, versus not trying and just ending the relationship? Because I think like, especially nowadays, it's so ingrained in us that like marriage is hard work and you have to work at it. And but at what point are you like? Actually, no, working on it is probably not going to fix this and it's not worth the trouble. It's probably best that we just separate.
1: And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of where I can sound like a walking contradiction is that on the one hand, like I'm a marriage counselor. I love seeing people make progress. I think a lot more progress is available to be made than people realize, And so when I see people on my comments being like, just get divorced, like this is never going to work. There's a part of me that's like, ah, like if you only knew, if you only tried, like this really doesn't have to be the relationship ender that you think it is. But in session, I actually talk to my clients about divorce a lot as like an option that has to be on the table, because if you don't seriously consider the relationship ending, then you don't ever actually choose your relationship. And I think so many of us come into marriage saying like, we've like made our promises to each other. We're never going to leave each other. And that can almost breed some sort of complacency that keeps you kind of in denial about the reality of like, no, your relationship could end at any point. And you have to kind of reconcile with that risk in order to, erase some of this codependency that is driving so many of these issues so when I say like how do you know well I always say like start with the relationship you have and say so many people are they're living in the future and they're saying if once I see my partner change that's going to inform what I do and say no like start with the relationship you have right now if you were to accept that it was never going to change it was never going to get better what would you do And for some people, the answer is like, I would pursue divorce. And so if that's like, honestly, your answer to it, well, then start pursuing divorce and see what happens. Because sometimes like even in the pursuing of divorce, it sparks a crisis and crisis is often the thing that really motivates people to change. And David Schnarch is a psychologist that does a lot of marriage counseling. He's passed away now, but he talks about how most couples don't change unless they have a crisis point to kind of motivate them to Grow and do better. So if answering that question of like, okay, accepting my relationship will never change. I would want to get a divorce. I mean, then pursue it and see how you feel. Like does, in as you like contact attorneys and that sort of thing, do you find yourself going like, oh, I'm not quite ready yet. Okay. Well then, then that's the relationship you have now is like, oh, I'm not quite ready to get divorced. So now I don't want it. What do I want to do? And if you just really get good at asking yourself, like, what is the relationship I have now? And given that I'm accepting the relationship that I have now, what do I want to do about it is a really good question. So for some people that question or the answer to that is I would get a divorce. Other people, it would be, I'm not quite ready yet. Let me pursue like my friends or going to the gym or hobbies or that sort of thing, just to kind of help me cope with the loneliness. And that can be a good way to just strengthen yourself. And then as you become a stronger version of it, version of yourself that's more attractive. That often makes the relationship better in ways that perhaps like always like trying to talk through the issues often ends up not really working anymore.
0: Like, is there anything to say for couples who, you know, from day one have like had certain issues and, you know, five years down the road, it's not any better Versus couples where their relationship was incredible, but then they had some big life changes, they got married, they had kids, and now they're in a difficult period of their relationship. Would that be your advice for both sets of couples or for the people who did have this wonderful relationship and now they find themselves just in this difficult part. Is it more worthwhile for them to try and seek therapy, try and make some changes because they know that they have the ability to be like where they were before? I mean, I think
1: you're kind of coming from an assumption that like having problems, having conflict is bad. Like really like having problems or differences or conflict is really what drives you to get to know each other better it drives you to a deeper awareness of who you are who your partner is and it's like that deeper awareness is really where a lot of connection comes so i don't think it's a matter of how long, how long the problems have been how like how long they're going what you project the future to be because every marriage has problems and so i think it's more about developing a really solid relationship to your own integrity, your own values, like what matters to you, what you want in life, and like really owning that. I mean, that's where all of this comes from. I mean, you can have a deeply fulfilling relationship with a lot of problems if you're okay with who you are. It's when you're not really okay with who you are that you feel like you need more like similar easygoing relationship
0: so do people come to you like when I talk about like problems I don't mean like like it's easy to pinpoint like where the issues are but more so and this happens a lot I hear it all the time from couples who have little kids is like the roommate phase like I feel like we're roommates and we're not like a romantic couple I used to talk about this thing that I made up in my mind called relationship compassion. Like people talk a lot about self-compassion and I was like, what about relationship compassion? Like, yeah, my relationship is not the same as it was, but we also have a young child and that has changed things a lot. So is that a common issue that people come to you with is like feeling like roommates?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The way I describe like kind of the roommate couples is they describe their relationship as really, really good, except they're just not very intimate. Like they don't, so they're like very low contact, but they also like don't really connect during the day. And they also, they don't connect sexually. And so it's, they think their relationship is quite good because the conflict is really low. But the fact that the conflict is low just highlights how little you're letting yourself be known because the more you let yourself be known, the more propensity or opportunity there is for you to be in conflict with someone else. Like if, And I think that's one of the reasons why the young child phase breeds this kind of thing so much is it's very easy to just completely lose yourself in motherhood. I mean, you're like, literally, like you don't even get to sleep as much as you want to anymore or you're not eating the meals you want to eat or like your toddler is stealing your food and like throwing everything on the floor. And so you just like, you don't get to own yourself in the way that you have like in previous stages of your life. And so part of the getting past the roommate phase is again, like it's less about saying like, okay, let's do all these things together and like schedule intimacy and like kind of force the actions that would make us not feel like roommates is say like, what is it about this stage of life that has like really led me to kind of lose who I am. And so if, especially if you're in kind of the stay at home mom default parent role, and then there's more of a traditional breadwinner, often what happens is both of those people lose themselves in their identity. Oftentimes they, those time periods are Like when we were having young children, it was when my husband was in residency. So he was getting very sucked into his like resident identity. And I was getting very sucked into my mom identity. And we lost sight of like, who am I outside of that one part of me? And so if you want to break out of the roommate phase, well, like you have to just get to know yourself better. Like, who are you outside of work? Who are you outside of changing diapers? What are the interests that you would have? And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they're like, Even if I knew what my hobbies were, how do I have the time to pursue them? How do I have the finances to pursue them? And so there's all these obstacles and barriers to really connecting with yourself. But that can become kind of an excuse to not want to work on it because it's hard. Like learning who you are also requires you to kind of square yourself face to face and say like, Do I like the decisions I made? Do I like the career I'm in? Do I like the partner I chose? Like it brings a lot of kind of these scary questions that we might not really want to pursue and consider. But it's on the other side of those scary questions that you're like, oh, wow, like I'm kind of cool. And like, yeah, there's challenges with my relationship. There's challenges with my career. But it has helped inform who I am. I did choose it, even though like maybe now I might regret certain things. And that's kind of like, I think it just is a really easy transition to go from like roommate phase to midlife crisis. If you aren't really intentional about being very aware of who you are and how you want to be in the world.
0: let's say there's a couple that's in the roommate phase. And like you were saying, like oftentimes the roommate phase, not only is there not intimacy or like romantic connection, but there's also not conflict. It's just kind of like literally how you would treat a roommate that was not, you know, close to you like friendship wise. So Is your advice for couples that are in that roommate phase to focus on themselves more and like try and figure out what kind of life do you want to live? Like, what are your hobbies? Like get to know themselves more and then kind of bring that to the table with their partner.
1: Yes, absolutely. And just give yourself a lot of compassion for the reasons why you don't want to get to know yourself. Because there's a lot of people that are saying, Like, I don't want to pursue my hobbies because I don't want to get a babysitter because I don't trust anyone else with my child. And like, if your partner sees that you're doing that and they see it's a problem, then they're often like pushing you to like, get out and go do things. And you just have a hard time. You're like, I just can't explain why I don't want to, but I don't want to. And it is hard. And just give yourself a moment of compassion and just say like, okay, so like, what am I learning about myself from this? Like, I'm learning that perhaps I'm a lot more anxious than I realized I was like having children has really showed me a side of myself that I haven't seen before. And so like welcome anxiety, like let me learn more about that part of myself. So always again, like start with where you're at now. So you don't have to, if you are struggling with roommate phase, like you don't have to go join a million hobbies if you sincerely don't want to, but have compassion with why you don't want to. And then, as you give yourself compassion, then sometimes the anxiety lessens and then it creates more room for other things that you might be interested in. And so always just shower yourself with compassion for wherever you're at right now and then follow the train wherever it leads you.
0: I was listening to this. Do you ever listen to Jay Shetty's podcast? No, No, okay. So he had this episode about seven reasons why people fall out of love or something like that. And one of the things that he was recommending that couples do is not only experience new things like on their own, but also experience new things as a couple. And it's similar to what you're saying right now is like, you lose yourself. And so how are two people who have both lost themselves supposed to come together and be in this relationship that they were in previously before they had lost themselves. It's like, you need to find each other, experience new things, have hobbies, like live your life. And then you can come together and share that with each other.
1: And I think part of that requires you to like drop the ego a little bit, because I think one of the reasons why as we get older, we don't try new things is we're not good at them at first and it can be like it's things aren't fun until you're good at it and you're like I don't want to try something that I'm not good at and have to go through all the activation energy and so just like understand like why like where did this come from that I need to be good at things like was I born and bred like an overachiever that's always has to be the best at things and and then again like compassion like that's interesting. I didn't realize I was this competitive as I like once was and like that's just helpful to know about myself. And just every time you find yourself like up against some sort of resistance, just have compassion for it and just say like this is interesting. Like I don't want to be bad at this, but sometimes you have to like push through things that challenge you and scare you for your own development. I mean it's like if you had a child that was saying like I don't want to do this because I'm not good at it. Like you would probably push them and say, give it a try. It's going to be fun. It's that sort of thing. But like oftentimes we create a much healthier life for our children than we do for ourselves.
0: Oh yeah, that's for sure. Okay. Let's talk before we finish a little bit about sex drive, sexual desire, And what couples can do. I was watching your reels about like the difference between like women having low desire versus men having low desire. I feel like for the most part, people assume that it would be the woman that has low desire and not the man. But you made these reels talking about men that also have low desire. And like that is a real thing that happens. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the differences in women having low desire versus men? So I think one
1: of the reasons why it can be particularly challenging when the husband is a low desire partner in the relationship is a woman who is low desire and is not interested in sexual intimacy could still decide to participate. And it wouldn't necessarily like change, like she could still orgasm like things. It wouldn't necessarily like change the mechanics of it. But when a man is low desire, there's just more mechanical challenges to, like, making it happen. And the problem is, like, we tie so much ego to our sexual performance. And so if you're a higher desire woman and your, like, partner is having a hard time, like, mechanically being ready for the experience then you can, you get, you get in your head and you're like, Oh my gosh, like, am I not desirable? Am I like, is, am I doing something wrong? Like, are they like doing other things? Like why, like why isn't this working? And it's that jumping into your head that is what is maintaining this problem to be a lot worse. And like, I think to just understand like everybody has sexual issues at various points in their marriage And so when you find it happening to you, you don't have to go like, oh my gosh, like something's wrong with me. And like, we're unique in this. I've never heard any of my friends complain about this. There must be something wrong with us to just go like, sometimes things just don't work the same. And to like, work through in your own head, like, why am I tying so much ego into like, whether or not like certain body parts are responding to me and if you are more solid in yourself, it's not as big of a deal to kind of just like let one individual, individual experience go. And it's a similar process. If the woman is the low desire partner and the man is the higher desire partner. I mean, he's still asking himself these same questions. Like why is my partner not into me? Why doesn't she like it? Why am I not desirable? They jump into fear of like, Oh no, like what if we turn into roommates and then we go 30 years and then we don't know each other. So like, it's still that same like future forecasting and Questioning your own desirability that's driving the problem. And so, before you start looking to like, okay, like we just need to find a compromise and like figure out like how we can have like sex in the way that like the frequency that makes everybody the most happy is really looking at yourself and just saying, like, why do I drive so much of my ego from whether my partner's into me sexually? Like, where did I learn that? Where did it come from? And give yourself compassion for that and then compassion for your partner. And say like, it's okay for you to not to be okay. Like I want to not be okay sometimes. And so like, I don't need you to respond like the flip of a light switch whenever I'm ready to go, because I I understand that we're both people and people respond differently based on what's going on in the day. So I think that's the, but I just think when it's the female who's the lower or the woman's low desire partner, the male is the higher desire partner you can tend to hide that a lot longer than you can when it's the reverse. So I think a lot of times like the low desire women married to high desire men kind of almost like blindside the husband a few years down the road when like the sexual desire is just like completely like gone and extinguished. It's like, wait, what a second, like what just happened? Like I thought things have been going fine all these years, but they like really haven't been versus that's harder to hide over that time period when it's the reverse
0: do you think couples put too much weight on like how many times are we having sex like in a week in a month or whatever I feel like culturally people are obsessed with that question and want to know like where they are versus other people and someone asked the question like is it possible to have a healthy marriage where you're not having sex for a long period of time
1: yes If everybody is, like, in a healthy place, I think if you're both, like, two avoidant partners, well, then I think it's, like, the avoidance is more the sign of the unhealthiness rather than, like, the frequency. But one of my favorite quotes is, like, healthy couples make love every day and sometimes they have sex. And when you are, like, emotionally intimate with each other, when you, like, hold hands or hug or kiss or that sort of thing... And you just know that you have this connection that you prioritize on a day-to-day basis. Like those kinds of couples often don't even know when the last time was they had sex. It's like, oh, like, yeah, like maybe that one day, but like every day has like good connection. So it's not like a calendared item versus the couples that don't really have ongoing intimacy, but try to like make up for it by having sex. Like they often know exactly when the last time they had sex was and they know they're like monthly and weekly average and they are like wondering how they stack up against other couples. Really like when you're focused on the numbers, that tells me that just the overall like foundational intimacy of your relationship just isn't there.
0: Yeah, because intimacy does not mean necessarily having sex all the time. Like intimacy is so much more than having sex. But you're right in that most couples, they're like counting how many times they had sex and equating that to, okay, like I must have a good relationship. But it's like, it's so much more than that. That's like me not sleeping in the same bed as my husband. Like this is so common For people that, especially after having children and being married to a physician that's on call all the time and like he snores and I don't want to listen to it. And so many people like will see that or like hear that we don't sleep in the same bed and assume that like, ooh, they're going to get a divorce soon. And it's like, no, because there's lots of couples that do sleep in the same bed that fucking hate each other. Absolutely. <laughs> like, like right. That does not make a couple like that. That right. is not. Well, and a, also yeah.
1: when you look at like, sleep is like the foundation of a healthy person. And so if you're getting healthy sleep, you're going to have healthier relationships versus if you're being woken up all the time and it's not. If, you got, if you're not getting good sleep, you're not gonna have a good relationship. Like so. it's
0: not a healthy relationship to want to stab your husband in the neck <laughs> when he's snoring. That's not healthy. It's not. <laughs> okay, last question is if couples are struggling with intimacy and want to, and by intimacy, I mean like sexual relations and they want to start working on that, where do they start?
1: So you have to start by getting really really clear with yourself about the difference between when you want sex, when you don't really want it but you could be talked into it and when you definitely don't. And like knowing yourself really well to say like you cannot what if you're trying to work on your sexual intimacy, you can no longer just have sex to make your partner happy. Like you only can have sex when you actually want it which then often leads to a pretty significant period of abstinence, at least a month or two where you're working on like really intentionally your relationship to your own sexuality while you try to heal and kind of wash through some of the old feelings of resentment that comes from the years of having sex when you don't want to. So you have to like forever and always cut out like duty sex or intimacy sex. Like you cannot have a functioning sex life if you you're just doing it to make your partner happy. So when you cut that out, then you start just learning about yourself, like what makes me feel sexual. I like I remember when I was like at my like sexual low point. I remember watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy and like two couple or two doctors like spill out of the call room and they're like their hair all messy and they're caught like their coworker sees them and is like what have you been up to and they're like oh we just had to get it in somehow and I remember just looking at them like get it in like I would be fine if I never had sex again like why would it be something that you had to like prioritize to make time for so like but those are like people that are very in touch with their sexuality so like when you're taking a break of abstinence, at the same time, if you really want your sex life to to progress in the future, you have to know, like, what does it feel like to be a sexual woman? Like, what does it feel like? to be in touch with what I want, what my body wants, what I'm interested in. And it ties back to kind of what we were talking about with earlier things about like losing yourself, like pursuing hobbies, like not like your sexuality is your life force. It's not really about like whether or not you're like mechanically like doing the things to lead to orgasm. Your sexuality is about like who you are as a person, like what drives you, what motivates you, what excites you, like what gives you just like this, like arrows energy, this like will to live this Like just excitement for life. And so as you're taking an intentional break from sex with a partner where things are a little bit more complicated, you want to like really just kind of throw yourself into understanding like what makes me feel excited about life, like, and then take that a step further. What makes me feel sexual? Like, do I, I mean, I like listening to sexy music and like dancing like Zumba or that sort of thing. And like really just kind of getting in touch with what my body can do and look like, or like wearing nice clothes or nice underwear or whatever it is that like reading like romance novels, whatever helps you kind of get in touch with your sexuality. You spend some time like really just learning about your own sexuality for you, not necessarily to share with your partner. And then as you come more aware of who you are sexually, then you make an intentional decision and you're like, is my partner somebody that sharing my sexuality with is good judgment. Or are they like a lump of coal who like won't help me, won't be a real partner, like isn't treating me with respect. Well if that's the case, well then it's good judgment not to share that sexual side of yourself. But if you feel like no like my partner really like they're not perfect, but they try their best, they're open to feedback, they like care about me, well then it might make sense to to share these new things you learned about yourself with your partner. And kind of begin exploring each other for the first time really it's like you kind of want to like turn a new chapter and say like let's just get rid of all of our old patterns our old habits and really get to know each other in a way that we would never have before and one of the things that I think is helpful is for a while to like pursue sexual touch but without expectation for orgasm because I think so many people We just like I feel like we just like pedestalize the orgasm as like the end-all be all of sexual intimacy. And there's a quote somewhere that talks about how the orgasm is the enemy of good sex. And so like take orgasm off the table for a while, learn what other kind of physical touch is just pleasurable, do that for a while, and like really expand your capacity to like know yourself and your partner sexually without kind of that like thing that we are always pursuing. And then eventually you'll have enough repertoire to like kind of go back to whatever works for you. And you can incorporate the old things that you used to like, but you want to just take it really slow.
0: I love that. Like taking the pressure off and like the end goal of an orgasm, like, no, let's just like have fun. And yeah, like a hundred percent. So is there like a book or a documentary? Like, is there anything that you recommend to couples?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's a good book called like Slow Sex, I think it's called, that's really good. Emily Nagoski, Negos- I don't quite know how to pronounce it, but I can send you information with more of it. She writes a lot of really good books about sex. I think the one that comes to mind that's probably her most famous book is called Come As You Are. So that one's really good. I can send you some other recommendations if you want to like put in the show notes or something that are some really good ones. But I think like Emily Nagoski is probably the one, like the person to start with if you're looking for this stuff.
0: Okay. And so where can people find you online?
1: So I'm on Instagram and TikTok. My handle is Dancing for Desire. My website is andrealistrip.com. So it's so one of those places you'll find me.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well. Thanks so much. This was great. That was awesome. Thank you, Renee. Wow. <laughs> ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection
1: of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne.